um, to the book of Philippians here this morning. We're going to be looking at, at three verses here in our series, Joy-Filled Living, in chapter four of the book of Philippians. I've titled this message this morning, The Secrets of a Contented Life. And Paul addresses it, and he actually um, uses a specific word that really deals with uh, that language, that something that somebody might think is a secret, and he brings it uh, to light. And he does it really as a wordplay, but uh, it, it definitely is something as you study through Scripture, and if you take your time and you don't just gloss over things, there's, there are steps, there's processes that we see that the Lord takes us through. And I think for all of us, uh, as we um, look at the Apostle Paul's life, one of the things that we admire and we appreciate about him is I've shared with you, you know, almost in each week of this study that the, Paul is writing this letter to um, the church in Philippi where he had been about 10 years previously. So about 10 years have, have transpired between the time that Paul was there and now where he's in Rome. And uh, he was in prison. He was taken to Philippi and he was in prison there. He was beaten and put in prison um, and for simply just loving people and sharing the gospel. And he appealed as a Roman citizen to Caesar. And so he was sent uh, by ship. And we read that in the book of Acts and, and it ends up in Rome. And that's where he's at now. He's in, in under house arrest. He's shackled to uh, a guard 24-7. Uh, um, but yet you look at his life and we talk about, you know, 16 times we find the word, you know, joy or rejoice in the book of Philippians. And then we look at his life and you go, but there's something about him, no matter what he's going through, there's somewhat for many of us, we find there's a disconnect because we can, you know, it, it's been, you know, well said that uh, of people, you know, that uh, we're not unhappy because uh, we don't have uh, things. We're unhappy because other people have more. And, and it's really true. And what we find in Paul is he wasn't, he wasn't discontented at all because he possessed everything that his heart desired because his heart desired God. He, he loved God and, and he loved Jesus and, and his relationship with him was so evident in the way that he lived his life, that he really had peace with God. And he not, didn't just have peace with God, but he was enjoying, as we talked about last week, the peace of God. And so as we, we read this today, um, we'll walk through, there's really, and again, three things uh, from these three verses that, that really jump off the pages of, of if there's a secret to a contented life, we'll find it here in verses 10 through 13. And so we'll read this together. We'll pray and then uh, we'll jump into this. It says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. And not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, as we come to fellowship today, uh, Lord, we'd be amiss to not pray for uh, the church in Afghanistan this morning, uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering tremendously there, who've been marked, um, Lord, by... Um, just evil forces in that country, whether it's the Taliban or whoever the groups might be, that, uh, Lord, they've sent message to the church that, in the truest sense, we're, we're coming for you. Um, they hate the gospel. They, they hate the love of Christ. Uh, 
They love suppression. They love darkness. They love evil. And uh, Lord, we, we somewhat understand then why it's been so difficult to work in that region of the world. And yet, Lord, we know that God, uh, as you're present here with us, you're with them today. May they know your peace and your comfort. May they know your joy. May they know that still in, in all of our lives, the best is still yet to be. But Lord, may you sustain them. May you use our country, uh, however you might, Lord, to bring uh, safety and security to the people there. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you that, Lord, you're our protector. We thank you that, as Jesus, you said it best, you said, don't, don't fear what man can do to you, but rather fear him who can kill both the body and the soul and cast them both into hell. And uh, Lord, you didn't say that as a threat to us. You spoke that to us, remind us of your sovereignty, that God, you're in control and that you can be trusted and that you are good, Lord, all the time. And so, Lord, we give you our hearts afresh today. We pray that, Lord, you would speak to us. God, I pray that, Lord, we wouldn't be just hearers of your word. God, forgive us, Lord. Uh, like Mark Twain, Lord, would once say, he said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that worry me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand. And Lord, we know so much, and, and your word declares where much has been given, much is required. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take to heart the things that, God, you'd reveal to us today. And where there's conviction, Lord, there'd be repentance, that there wouldn't just be bucking against you or like, Paul, when he was known as Saul, to kick against the goad, so to speak, but that, God, we would agree with you, that we would repent and we would turn from our ways to your ways, God. We love you. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy, God. Thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new this morning, that in the truest sense, we don't have a past. Lord, we have what's in front of us today. And Lord, we have a hope, Lord, and a future in you. Lord, help us to look forward, to look up today. For our redemption draweth nigh. Our prayer, Lord, today, of all days, Lord, of all the things that are going on in the world is Maranatha, Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, um, how many have ever heard the expression, the grass is greener on the other side, by a show of hands, the grass is greener on the other side. And then there's other expressions that go with it, right? They say, if the grass is greener on the other side, it's because what? The manure bill is twice as high, you know, or something like that. Um, it, it's really interesting, you know, we look at life today in America in comparison to other time frames. You know, it's been noted that a hundred years ago, you know, if, if you were to ask someone to tally up all of their needs that they could just think of, you know, what are the things that you have need of? The list for the majority of people never went beyond 70 things. People couldn't think of 70 things that they actually really needed. Uh, today, those same studies uh, that are done, the, the majority of people will list over 500 things that they would say that they have need of in their life. And it's interesting, you know, because as time goes on and technology, you know, increases and makes you know, life easier for us, I mean, there seems to be a growing dissatisfaction, not a satisfaction uh, in this life. And you can just see it as you, as you talk with people. Um, you know, like I said, it's, it's, as I shared with you, you know, earlier, and you think about, you know, the source of our unhappiness is not that we have little, but it's that other people have more. And I think there's something true about that in, in, with regard to our country today, you know, that 
again, we think about capitalism versus socialism and, 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 and such, and you, you can start to see uh, how it makes sense why there's so many people that are discontented. And yet you look at scripture and you find the apostle Paul, and he's just an amazing case study uh, for each and every one of us, because Paul is no different in the truest sense than you or I. Chosen of God, elect, we are, of God. And yet, Paul, in the sense, put his pants on the same way that we do each and every day. Paul lived a victorious life simply because he relied and he trusted in God. He lived a victorious life because he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, works mightily in us. So when I look at Paul's life, I mean, sometimes, like I said, you can look at Jesus and you go, well, that's Jesus. And you go, yeah, but here's Paul. Here's Paul the apostle who's, you know, in prison, who's gone from prison to prison, who's had beatings and been shipwrecked, who's been left for dead, you know, and, and here's a guy that you cannot shake his joy because his joy isn't circumstantial. And so it speaks to us. And then especially today when I look at this and I think about the word contentment and you, and you ask yourself, you know, and you, you need to do that as I've done that this week in, in searching my own heart. Are you content today? Would you say that you're really content in all things, that you are satisfied with where you're at, you're satisfied with what you have or with what you don't have? Because that's what the apostle Paul is saying. He's going, I, I, I'm content. I, I'm content. And you go, what is the secret of contentment? And he's going to really draw out three things that we want to look at here this morning. You look there in verse 10, he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, he says that now at last your care for me has flourished again. So he's making a reference to something previous. Remember the previous was 10 years earlier when he was in Philippi. And as I'd shared with you in previous studies is that when Paul was in prison, somebody had to bring him food and things to, uh, you know, sustenance for him to survive. Uh, prison didn't provide that for you. So if you didn't have a connection, you might say, to people, you were dead. And Paul was thanking the church because they could have easily just left him there. I mean, you think about it, you know, we, we use the expression often in, in life, you know, out of sight, out of what? Out of mind. And that happens. You know, you think about people in your life that one time were in your life and they're not in your life today. And you go, it's not that you, you don't care about them any longer. You go, the bottom line is you go out of sight, out of mind. That, that's, just, that's just a, you know, a truth that, that we embrace and we understand it. And he says, but you know, I rejoice because your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So we don't know ultimately what happened, you know, in the Apostle Paul's life. I mean, you think about missionary support. Uh, it's happened, you know, here in the life of our church. We'll support someone and, and they'll send us a letter and they'll say, okay, you know, I need money for this. And then we'll send money for that. And then all of a sudden you don't hear from them for a number of years and, and they don't get support. And all of a sudden they're going you know, hey, I, I'd like to get support again, or I've, I've come home, maybe they were on furlough, and we've had missionaries that have been on the field, and then their visas now, because the way you travel around the world, were rejected, and they couldn't renew their visa in another country, and so they were stuck here for, you know, a period of time while they prayed about where else might they go in the world, and then they come back, and they go, hey, uh, could you support me again? And, and so basically, you know, something to that degree is happening with the Apostle Paul. The church had supported him earlier, there was a, a gap in that. He's not blaming them at all. He's not complaining at all. Um, he, again, is just pointing out uh, this fact that's before us here. 
And so, again, as I look at this, and I'm just constantly reminded of it as I study Paul's life, I'm going, here's a guy, you know, that, again, the theme of this book, remember, is overriding is joy, okay? Joy that's not bound by circumstance. I talk to people every week, Christians that have walked with God for a long time, and man, their joy is in the toilet because of a circumstance in their life. And you just wonder, you go, man, it's like, are we, do we just talk about Jesus? We use Jesus so you know, just easy in conversation, but in the reality of our life, when, you know, we live our life on a day-to-day basis, is that, is there really that sense of, of God's peace and his presence that we read about that scripture says that even surpasses our own knowledge, our own understanding here, because we see it's very evident in the apostle Paul's life. You know, you find if there was a, a secret right here in number one, I would say this, you know, the secret to contentment in the Apostle Paul's life as we study his life, you might write this down. Contentment comes from people, not possessions. People, not possessions. You know, um, you think about, you know, like when people are passing from this life to the next. I was talking with a couple of people that have lost loved ones in the last couple months, and um uh, I said, well, you know, so how did it go? And it was interesting. I noted something that both of them said, exactly the same thing. They said, oh, you know, it it was okay. They go, you know, it's hard. They go, but um, one of the good things was they go, they were surrounded by the people that they loved. They were surrounded by the people that they loved. And that's how they went out of this life which kind of demonstrates to you clearly that, you know, life in the truest sense, when you come down to the end of your life, it's not about possessions, it's about people. They didn't say, oh, you should have seen it, Pastor Mike. They pulled all their cars up uh, in the yard and they parked them there and they put them out, you know, on their bed right in the midst of their cars or, you know, their plants or, you know, their, you know, whatever, you know, the thing is that they might be there, you know, I live on a golf course, they could say, you know, golf clubs and golf balls, you know, or whatever the thing is that, that you enjoy in this life. It's never about possessions. It's about people. And that's where Paul found his contentment. And, and, he, and he's remembering this, like you said, of all the things, here he is, he's imprisoned, and he's remembering back that, hey, these people, it, you know, my contentment had to do with my connection to people, which reminds me, you know, as I think about church, many people just come to church on Sunday. And you might have a connection with a few people here. And that's kind of sad because it really demonstrates there's a shallowness to that, where we are what? The body of Christ. Amen. I mean, have you ever met somebody that once you met them that you go, man, you know, I'm so glad that I I met you. And, you know, like you're my new best friend, you know, and then you kind of think about it and you talk and you go, well, wow, I wish I'd have met you earlier, especially when it's a church relationship. And you go, well, I always saw you, but, you know, we just never, I just never took the initiative, you know, because, and I make it about me, you know, and you go, all of a sudden, then we met and I'm going, wow, what a difference that you, you've made in my life. I, I was speaking at a marriage retreat this weekend and uh, I was just reminding, you know, the, the couples there, I said, you know, we all need three people. We need to be connected to three people all the time in our life. We all need a, a Paul, somebody that speaks into our life. We all need a Timothy, somebody that we can impart the things that we've learned along the way. And we all need a Barnabas. We need somebody that, you know, is just there to, they encourage us, they bring us comfort. And it's true. There, there's, it's, you know, again, if you want contentment in your life, it will never be because of the possessions that you own. They don't bring contentment. People do. And, and it, it, you cannot stress it enough. 
you know, look at, you know, this, you know, I'll read it for you in Philippians 2.25. Paul said this, he said, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier. It says, but your messenger, he was also your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Now, can you be content and still have need? Absolutely. The difference is he wasn't needy. There's a difference between being needy and having need. Paul knew that he had need, and, and, and he was celebrating the fact in his connection to the church there at Philippi that God was using them to refresh him. And how did they do that? They did it financially. They provided for him. You know, I love that. You know, when the, we have as a church opportunities, you know, to bless people. You know, we had a situation this week. got a call from, from a guy and said, hey, there's, there's a need, da, da, da. And to be able to go over and on behalf of, you know, us as a church, you know, to be able to, it wasn't me, it was, I was doing it on behalf of our church. And to go, hey, we're here for you. This is a, this, I know this is a hard thing, but uh, hey, we're here for you. And, and sometimes, you know, people go through difficulties. And I had a, another guy, he sent me kind of a, a farewell text. Um, we hadn't seen him for, you know, a while. He comes off and on. He'd gone to a couple different churches and uh, he was here like part-time and another church part-time and I think another church part-time. And um, he said that, you know, that he was done here in Bakersfield, that the experiment, that was his exact word, the experiment had, had failed. And he went into this that, you know, nobody here, you know, in our church, you know, loved him. And I thought, well, nobody in the other two churches must love you either because you're leaving and moving out of, out of Bakersfield. I'm thinking this, I didn't say that. I just, but I'm just reading, I'm reading the note here, but he was writing to me as the pastor, you know, of the church. And so I just wrote him back. I said, you know, hey, I, I, we do love you. And I said, we do care about you. And I said, think about this and this and this and this, you know, things. I said that as a church, you know, that we've, we've done for you. And I go, but when you, when you make you, it's all about you, you know, then you miss really what church is about. Because church in the truest sense isn't about you. It's about God, amen, that we've come here to worship him. And our worshiping him you think about what is the great commandment? Jesus said the greatest commandment of all the things that you could do in this life. He said, you should love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, right? That's the greatest commandment. And you go, well, what's that going to do for me? And you go, it does everything for you. Because when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he says what? Everything else will be added unto you. And you go, oh. And yet you go, Ah, man, I don't know about that. I got I to gotta take care of me. And so I look at this and people get it backwards oftentimes. And I'm going, but, you know, so who do you call? You know, so I'm trying to understand who's your connection. Well, I realized I didn't have any connections. The only connection was just coming to church. So little will happen in this moment here. You know, I mean, some people do. You, we take advantage of it and you go, um, but really it's about, it's not about, some make it a social thing. You go, but it's really about worshiping Jesus. And that in your worshiping Jesus and you setting your heart on him, he will meet all of your needs. Does, and again, is there anybody here that would even question the fact? Does he know what we have need of even before we ask? Absolutely. You know, and yet at the same time, he says, you have not because what? You ask not. You, you don't ask. Because why? And here's the point I was making to my friend. I said, hey, you know what? I'll always love you wherever you go. I said, you know, and I go, just like now, I go, you're reaching out to me. And I go, I know I respond to you all the time. I said, because you call me and you text me and all day and in the middle of the night. 
And, uh, and I respond to you. And I go, so I know you have at least one friend. And I go, and I'll, I'll always be your friend. You know? And it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm going, hmm. But I do know this. God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. So, you know, oftentimes what happens in his complaint was, nobody's there for me. Nobody's there. Nobody's doing this. And I'm going, but who have you reached out to? You reach out to me. And so I'll just make it a one-on-one -on -one thing. You reach out to me. And when you reach out to me, did I try to meet your need? The things that you asked of me personally? And his answer was yes. I go, so who else are you? Well, nobody. Well, scripture's adamantly clear. He who desires a friend must what? First show himself what? Friendly. Yeah. I mean, if you come to church like this, you know, not too many people are going to, hey, how's it going? And they go, this is a mean church. <laughs> okay. You know, we need to just walk around with a mirror in front of our face, you know, so you can at least see what other people are seeing. That, that'll, that'll straighten you up right away. Wow. You know, I tell Buddy all the time, huh, Buddy? I go, Buddy? Buddy's a handsome man. I go, buddy, I go, man, when you smile, I go, it's like, ding, yeah, you know? And, uh, and I love, you know, when, when he, I can tell, buddy's one of those guys that, man, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Uh, we can tell him, and uh, so buddy and I have a thing. So when buddy, I know, and you understand people, um, buddy can come into a room and buddy, sometimes he'll walk in like this too, huh, buddy? Buddy boxing. He's mad at Kimberly because she didn't get up and fix his breakfast at four in the morning, you know, or something. I mean, just strange things. But, uh, but Buddy will come in and he's like, he's like this. And I go, Buddy, come here. Come here, Buddy. And uh, so we have this thing now. So we start off with a fist bump and then we go to a handshake and then I pull Buddy in and I give him a hug and then I kiss him on the neck. And uh, it's just me and Buddy. I won't do that for everybody, okay? But that's, but that's, but that's me and Buddy. And and it's so funny because seriously, he can be in the worst mood, huh, buddy? But he can walk in and when, when I do that to him, I don't care how mad he wants to be or something. He just, you know, and it's one of those things. But that's part of having a connection. You know, that's what that God, and, and, and I want you to know it's biblical. He said, greet each other with a holy kiss, okay? So for me to kiss buddy, I can tell you it is definitely holy because there's, there's no other interest that I have in buddy, you know? <laughs> so, so, but it's just one of those things that you go, God wants us to be connected. And there is contentment in that. And, and I watch it. I get to see it every single week in the lives of people. When you're connected, when you're disconnected, I mean, disconnected people are the biggest complainers. Uh, they, they see the negative in everything. I mean, but people who are connected, they're just like, yeah, you know, eh, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. But, and guess what? It's all small stuff. And we need people like that. That's having a Barnabas in your life. You know, I mean, I, I love that expression I've shared with you bazillions of times. You know, if everybody in my church was just like me, what kind of church would my church be? And would you even go to it? Think about that of yourself. And you go, what would our church be? If our church was just like you, you could, but it might be empty because you don't reach out to anybody. You don't share with anybody. You go, it would just be a church that is just experiencing complete atrophy. And you go, that's not a church of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. And that's what Paul is, is seeing here. Here's a church that's giving. It wasn't that Paul needed something from them, but the church needed to give. You and I need to give. Scripture says it's more blessed to what? To get than it is to give, right? No, that's not what it says. It's more blessed to what? To give than it is to receive. And yet, 
You don't have to teach anybody how to be selfish. That just comes naturally. But you do have to teach us how not to be selfish. And so as I look at this, again, verses 14 and 15, you can see what Paul is going on here. He says, nevertheless, he says, you've done well. And he says, in that you've shared in my distress. That, that's a, a beautiful thing about connection too, right? That when you go through difficult things in life, it's not just that people are there for the celebrations, but they're there for the heartaches as well. That's what a true friend is, right? They say, you know, when trouble comes and everybody else is, is walking away, your friends are doing what? They're coming towards you, right? And, and Paul sees a friendship with the church here. He says, now you Philippians, you know also in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And you don't forget the people that were there for you, or you shouldn't anyway. And Paul, he's remembering them. There's joy that comes in connection. Can you think of a group this morning that cares about you and that you care about in your life? Is there a, a circle of, of people? Is there a connection for you that you can really count on, that you can call at, at two o'clock in the morning and say, hey, you know, I need this, and they would be there for you? Or, you know, you go, man, nobody cares. No, nobody, nobody, nobody in Bakersfield cares about me, you know, because there's people that truly believe that. That's why what we think is important, guarding our heart and guarding our mind. When you think about that, when trouble comes in your life, who's the first person that you call? Do you have somebody? You do. His word tells us, he says, call unto me and I will answer thee, and I will show you great and mighty things, things that you know not of. But how many of us really think, you know, I'm going to call Jesus first? Paul did. He was first on his list, not last on his list. I love that. He said, you know, you've flourished again. That, that says something about, you know, you lacked opportunity. You know, something happened. There was a disconnect between Paul and the church there, and now they're flourishing again. That, that means that there's an abundance. That means that they are... They are generously giving. And, and again, as we know in Scripture, you know, God loves what? A cheerful giver. When you give, are you, are you cheerful? Or do you do it begrudgingly? It's really, you know, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Verse 11 goes on in chapter 4. It says, not that I speak in regard to need. He says, for I've learned to be content in whatever state I am to be content. So again, you know, the first, the first secret that he really brings to mind here is understanding that it's people, not possessions. And that could be not just the church itself, but it could be your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that it's about him. It's not about what we can get from him. But people do. They come to church. They want something from, from God. One of the saddest stories I, I, I remember you know, throughout the years was that of Ted Turner, Turner Broadcasting, if you remember him. He had a sister who got cancer when she was young. And he said that he prayed for his sister every day, that he believed in God, and he prayed every day that God would heal his sister, and she died of the cancer. And he said, and from that day forward, he said he just became embittered against God. He didn't believe there was a God, because how could a loving God take his sister? And so he turned his back completely on God. He said that, you know, basically he's, he's an atheist. And you go, wow, so, so, so sad. But that can be so true for so many people and not understanding the heart of God. 
And yet he says in verse 11 there, Paul says, but I, that I speak in regard to need, he says, for I have learned to be content in whatever state I am to be content. And you think about, what is he talking about? You think about the, the secrets of contentment. That contentment is learned. It's not a gift. See, people think that, you know, to be content, oh, that's a gift. No, he makes very clear. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have what? You might highlight that in your Bible. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Contentment is something that you learn. See, I can stand before you today and I go, church, I'm not content. I'm more content than I was years ago, but I'm not as content as I will be because it's a learning process. The secret to contentment is understanding that it is a process. That's number two. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. He who has begun this good work in you is what? He's faithful to complete it. Yeah. The key is, is to walk with him, to continue to walk with him, to press into him. Again, when you think about this, it isn't a gift. People go, oh, God would just give me contentment. No, he doesn't. It's learned. God has a role. You and I have a role as well. You know, we experience life as we go, right? I, like I said, I'm not 100% content, but I'm learning to be. No one is born content. Do you get that? We are all born what? Selfish. You know, my wife and I, we have seven wonderful, beautiful grandbabies. And they're all growing. And they're all sinners that need Jesus from the earliest moments in their life. And you see it. They're selfish. I mean, what baby is going, you know, at three months old going, mommy, I know you're tired. So I'm going to put myself on a schedule. I'm only going to have breakfast at what time would you like? Cause I know you have to work. So I'll have breakfast at, hmm, cause I don't work, um, I'll, you know, and set a time and then go, and then mom, I'll, I'll go to sleep. And then when I wake up, then you can change me. Uh, and then I'll only do it once. So, you know, you don't have to do this all through the day and then feed me again and I'll take another nap. And, then, you know, and you go, and that's how, you know, I'll, I'll go through the earliest stages of my life. And you go, no. They what? They cry. They want to be held when they don't get their way. And it's like, you know, I love it. You know, my, my grandchildren, my son can be holding, you know, Max. And, and so I go, here, I'll take him. So I'll take him. And then he sees his dad, right? And then he starts screaming for his dad. He's like, eh. you know, so I just give him back to him. I go, you know, I'm not going to hold you if you're going to scream. It's like, I'm not going to try, you know, Oma, you know, my wife, she'll try, you know, and, and, and then he'll finally, you know, after a while, I'm like, no, just make it easy. Just give him back to him. They, that's what they want. They're, they're selfish. Just, they're born that way. We're all born selfish. That's why we must be born again. You don't teach people to be selfish. You teach people to be sacrificial. You teach people to give. Jesus in John 10, 10, he said this, he says, I've come that they might have life and have life, what? More abundantly. So what does that say? It's a reminder that contentment comes in a relationship. It doesn't come in possessions. Jesus said, I have come. He didn't say, I gave you this, or I gave you this, or I gave you this to make you content. He says, I have come that you might have life abundantly. Abundant life, church, is found in a person, not in a possession. It's found in Jesus Christ. 
That, that can, you can make that as spiritual as you want. It's relational. It's a reality of life. Jesus literally walked this earth, didn't he? And when he walked this earth, what happened? People flocked to him. Who? The outcast, the downcast, I mean, of life. They, they wanted to be with him. He loved people. There was a connection there that he enjoyed. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 demonstrates clearly to us that it's not about possessions. You want to overcome covetousness in your life and you want to enjoy contentment? It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Isn't that interesting? You overcome covetousness, not with more stuff. You overcome covetousness and enjoy contentment because of a relationship with a person. And, I, and so now take that to the hill as I started the message with, to go to someone's deathbed. How many people do you know when they're on their deathbed are going, please bring all my stuff and pile it up all around me so that I can have my possessions for one last moment in time? No. What do they want? Be with me. Be with me. I remember, you know, when my high school, my favorite high school coach, uh, Mike Ornalis, he passed away and was talking with family members and stuff and, and he had pancreatic cancer. He died, you know, at home and he said the comfort was he died with his family there by his side. You know, and you go, wow, that's, that's good to know. I hadn't got to talk to him, you know, um, I knew he had cancer, but I, I, that was one of those opportunities where it didn't present itself where I would love to have sat with him because um, I, I know that he knew the Lord and I know he's in heaven and I'll see him again one day. But just to, just to be able to, you know, uh, tell somebody that you love him before they pass from this life into, into the next. But I, I, I found comfort myself. It wasn't that, you know, they're going, hey, everybody was there, you know, and you go, oh, that's so good. And it's such a great reminder to us. Because we can be so dissatisfied with this life and because we're so selfish, it's, we make it so much about stuff and not about people. And yet, the Lord has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It was Corey ten Boom again who said, I didn't realize Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. And I hope he brings all of us to that place. That, that you recognize that. It's so freeing. And it was that for the Apostle Paul. Again, Paul wasn't needy, but he had a need. And the church had a need. And that need was to give. We have a need to give. When you're not giving, you know, whether that be financially or you're not giving of your life. You see, you were created with a purpose. And the purpose wasn't to do as you please. It wasn't to go where you wanted to go and to live the life that you wanted to live. I, I was talking with Victor yesterday. Victor um, you know, one of our security guys, uh, Victor's got COVID and uh, he's through it pretty much right now. But he said, man, what a great lesson the Lord taught him through that. He said, he, and quote unquote, he goes, Mike, he brought me to my knees because Victor goes, I was kind of just, you know, and he would have no problem me sharing this. He goes, I was just doing things, you know, the way that I thought that they should go. And he goes, man, this reminded me that, you know what? I am not in charge of my life that God is, and, and, and I need to live. And so for him, it was a refresher course in understanding that, you know, God is the one who determines and orders the steps of our life. That's why we're called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he says, and all the other things. And you think about your life, how little we truly can seek God. 
because we can just go about the day. We've got our plans, our things, and never going, you know, when was the last time you really sat down and you said, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That you're making the connection between your life and what's going on in heaven. You go, wow. But that's what Paul did. I love this because he's not, he's not complaining here. But that word contentment, if you're a note taker, it means containment. In the original language, the, the word contentment means self-sufficient. Okay? Self-sufficient. Because Paul was saying that his sufficiency was what? Verse 13, because we'll read it, was in Christ. God is the source of all true contentment. If you are discontented today, it's because Jesus Christ is not the center of your life. Plain and simple. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Only the person who has God as their shepherd can truly say, I have no want. If you're here today and you're, oh, I want this, I want this, and I want this, I go, I might question Jesus, you know, being the good shepherd of your life because they don't go together. Like Corey Tim Boom. I didn't realize Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. We're all going to end up on our deathbed one day. And you're going to discover in that moment, it's not about possessions. It's about people. You're not going to go, oh, I wish I had five more minutes to go do this. You're going to be thinking about people. I was sharing this at the marriage retreat this last weekend. The source of your joy is connected to people. The source of your greatest pain in this life is connected to people. People are at the center of our beings. I'll give you a couple things you might write down with regard to this. Contentment. Contentment, understand this, it's a state of a heart, not the state of an account. It's the state of your heart. It's like basically saying, you know, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Real contentment is making the most of the least. That's what Paul is reminding us here. Real contentment is making the most of the least. Don't you love that when you, have you ever had the opportunity to travel to a third world country? Uh, when I was in Africa, I was so enthralled by this thing that I saw. We were going down the road. We were going to a, a town where we were going to minister. And as we were driving down the road, I looked and there was just like, everything was just made out of like corrugated metal there and boxes. And I mean, they just, they just use whatever it is. If you've been to Mexico, you've probably seen the same thing. Like a lot of homes that are just cardboard and wood and everything else. They just, and you go, wow. And they call that home, right? We would have called that a fort when I was a kid growing up, but that's actually somebody's home. But in Africa, we're driving down the road. I look over there. There's this metal building on top of it. There's a part of a bicycle, and I'm looking, and there's a guy, and he's, he's pedaling this bike, and I'm looking at it, and he's making an, a cooler run. There was no electricity there, so there was a cooler on top of this building, so they took turns. They did, it was like a, you know, bicycle team. No wonder Africa has, you know, a good up-and-coming, you know, cycling team. They're up on the roof there. It's just the part of the bike with, you know, it had the sprocket, and, and, and it had a set of handlebars. There was no front wheel. There was no back wheel on it, but they just maximized this thing. This guy's spinning away on this thing, and they're producing, you know, uh, power to run this uh, cooler. I've seen it where in the United States, it's kind of fun. You've ever been to like a, 
uh, juice bar and they have, and they have a blender you know, on the front of the thing and you get on and you get to blend your own so you get to work out and I guess they have a, like a power meter on there so you can tell how many calories you burn so that's how much more stuff you can put in your blender, you know, to enjoy, you know, the meal there. But, uh, but it's, it's so amazing what Paul is, is bringing to light here. You know, that real contentment is making the most of the least. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want. It's the realization of how much you already have. Contentment is understanding if I'm not satisfied with what I have, I'll never be satisfied with what I want. I find it interesting in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, you know, besides joy, he uses the word mind 10 times and the word think five times and the word remember one time. So 16 times Paul makes reference to thinking. And he's talking about our outlook and our attitude about life why it's so important about what you allow into your mind, what we were sharing last week, what you think on, think on things that are true and pure and lovely. And yet Paul's saying, you know, whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content, but yet it's a process and we can't forget that. We learn contentment by living life and by looking to God. The, the abundant life churches will never be achieved by what we accumulate. It's what we already have. And what Paul's saying is you already have Jesus, Amen. He said, I'll never, I'm with you always. I'll, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Do you understand this? There's, there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. That's why there's so many believers that are just, they're led by discontentment rather than contentment. You know, when I say that, I mean that there's a lot of people that when they become discontented in life, you know, whether it be, could be a church, could be a friendship, could be a marriage, could be a business relationship, whatever, people get discontented. And they go, oh, that's God's sign that I need to move. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's a sign from God that you need to die to yourself and to be content. It, it's the opposite. He's, he's wanting you to be content where you're at. Because if you're not content where you're at, you'll never be content where you're going. And it's so, so true. And yet we struggle so much in, in really accepting that and believing it. Proverbs 14, 30 says this, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. You ever heard that expression, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses? We have a Jones family, but it, it's not that. But you hear in life, there's an old expression, keeping up with the Joneses. Or they'd say, they, they I've heard of they. You know, they said, and they said, and your parents would go, who are they? And you don't even know who they are, right? But we try to keep up with they, they, you know, they. And, and again, understand this, you know, a life of comparison, <laughs> I mean, you think about this, is dissatisfaction guaranteed. A life of comparison is dissatisfaction guaranteed. Matter of fact, it's comparison that puts the dis in discontentment, you might say. Verse 12, you know, it says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I've learned both to be full and to suffer and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul's experienced it all. He said, man, I've, I've been wealthy. I've been poor. That word full here, it speaks of, of, the, of feeding and, and fattening an animal. When you think of that word full there, Paul knew what it was like to have more than what he needed. He said, you know, I know how to abound. 
He was probably referring to his upbringing. He was raised in a, in a wealthy Jewish home. He went to private schools. Uh, he went to private universities. He studied under Gamaliel. It was like the Harvard University of his day. Uh, he probably lived a very opulent lifestyle. It was pretty safe to say. And yet then we know that he, he went to prison. Uh, he was beaten for his faith. I mean, nothing that he did wrong. Um, he was shipwrecked, left for dead, stoned. I mean, everything that could happen to someone. So he's going, man, I've been to the pinnacle of the mountaintop and I've been in the valley low. And guess what? Jesus was there with me every step of the way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, but we have this problem in life that we assume, you know, we've been raised this way in America. We assume more is better, right? You've heard of that expression from J.D. Rockefeller, that quote. Said, you know, they asked him, how much money does it take to make a man happy? What do you say? Just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. One more dollar. Here's a news flash. Less is more when less, when the less you hold is what you were created for. Let me read that to you again. Less is more when the less you hold is what you were created for. And the proof in that is I can only go back and tell you. You probably remember years ago, there was a, a gentleman that won a lottery winning of like $315 million. And he lost it all in less than five years, right? And in the process, it says that, you know, he lost his granddaughter. He'd given her a uh, allowance, you know, from the money that he had won. And she got into drugs and overdosed, found her underneath a boat uh, tarp in his front yard, dead. His daughter died of a drug overdose. He said, man, I wish I would have never won that lottery. He said, if I had that lottery ticket and I could do it all over again, he said, I'd tear that thing up and throw it away. Because money destroyed my life. It didn't make his life. That's, that's the opposite of, of, again, being content. When Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, he made very clear, you can't win when you're chasing the wind, when you're discontented. Be reminded of this today. You know, church, we're all born originals but most of us are dying copies of someone else and that copy most of the time isn't jesus we're looking to the world and we're thinking oh if i just had what they had if i just you know did what they did if i just i would be content and that is a lie from the pit of hell and paul's life is proof of it he's going you know i've had it all i've, I've had nothing and basically what he's telling us here is that his contentment was completely independent of his circumstances because many of us, we go, oh, I'd be content, but you know, if you just understood what I'm going through, no, it didn't make any difference in Paul's life. His contentment was completely independent of his circumstances. And you think, you know, what do we do? I love, you know, Philip Keller. He has a book. Year, he wrote this years ago. It was called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he talks about the different kinds of sheep. And one of the sheep that, that he makes reference to is he called it a fence troller. A fence troller is that sheep that always thinks that the grass is greener on the other side. You ever see when they stick their head through the, the fence or something, they're eating the grass, which is the same grass that's on that side, but there's just something about being a fence troller. You know, are you a fence troller today? Are you just discontented and you're always wanting something that's on the other side? And it's probably driving you crazy, you know, that you're just not satisfied. You just, it's always something a little bit more. You know that show, Love It or List It? You ever seen that on television? My wife and I, we watch that periodically. 
and they one of the, they're in their home and the gal she tries to work with them and create their space that they'd want to not move. And the guy is going out looking for, you know, space going, I'm going to, you know, show them the perfect house, everything that they want, and they're going to move. And then, so they have an option. They've done a kind of a, a renovation on their, their home. And then they get the choice at the end. Are you going to love it and stay in your home? Or are you going to list it? Okay. And it's really interesting to see most people, the majority of people, you know what they do? Do you think they love it or do they list it? What would you say? If you say love it, raise your hand. If you say list it, raise your hand. Yeah. Most of them love it. They love it. The, the, the statistical advantage goes to loving it. And, and it's really interesting because it takes me back to this story will probably make it make sense for you. It says there was an old farmer who grew discontent with his farm. So he decided to sell it. A few days later, the real estate agent phoned wanting approval. This is a true story. Advertising and she intended to place in the local newspaper. She read it to the farmer. It described a lovely farm in the ideal location, quiet and peaceful, uh, contoured with rolling hills, nourished with a fresh water lake, and blessed with well-bred livestock. The farmer said, read that to me again. It says, and after hearing it a second time, he said, I've changed my mind. I'm not selling. He says, I've been looking for a place like this all my life. And that's what happens in the show is all of a sudden there's improvement because there's no place like what? home. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for because you might just get it. You might just get it. And the last thing I'd share with you before we go, verse 13, Paul writes this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now people have abused that verse. Go, I can do whatever I want. That's not what it's, you can do everything that God has called you to do. Everything that he created you for. If you are out of your element, like I said, less is more when less is what you were created for. Because like I said, you can be like the guy who wins the $315 million lottery. There's a reason that that guy didn't have $315 million. You have what God desires for you in your life. And the key is becoming content with it. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I see this, you know, the third secret to Paul's contentment was his power source. When you're relying and trusting in yourself, guess what? You're going to come up empty the whole time. But like Paul, he said, you know, I get this. And it was the, what was the opposite? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, apart from me in John 15, 5, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. And Paul's going, okay. And the flip side of that is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and I love that. You know, oftentimes in life, you know, we hear, I can't, you know, I love people. I can't, I can't, you know, no, you know what? Success comes not in can't success comes in what cans cans. You can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The key is, is to know what he's called you to do. And I love that as we look at Paul's life. The same Jesus Christ that Paul had, church, is the same Jesus Christ that you and I have. So if Paul, who's in prison, and you know, you would think every circumstance of life should make him bitter, and he's claiming to be better, you go, huh, What's his secret? It's his power source. I can do all things through Christ. You can't do anything on your own. You'll be a miserable, crying complainer. But when your hope is in Christ Jesus. Now, it's a process, okay? I didn't say we've arrived. So yes, do we still whine? Do we still complain? Yes. Hopefully, are we what? Like John Border used to say all the time, I'm not holier than thou. I'm what? I'm just holier than I used to be, okay? 
your work in progress, amen? Or are you a work in progress? And if you're not, then I'd invite you to come to Jesus today. And Paul would say, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not me who lives, but Christ lives in me. I love that. The Amplified Bible puts it like this. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I'm self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Is Jesus enough? That's really the question today as we go. Is Jesus enough? Because if he's not enough, nothing in this life will ever satisfy you. But when Jesus is enough, everything else can and will. And so you might look at the order of your life. Because there's many people, and I get it. I understand it. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to what? Is to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then what? The second commandment, he said, is likened unto the first, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. But many people focus on the second part, thinking that will get them to the first part. It doesn't. Everything begins and ends with God. You were created by him and for him, and nothing that exists, exists apart from him. So if you find yourself today, you go, man, I'm just not content. The real question, the heart of it is, where am I at with Jesus? Is Jesus truly enough? And the apostle Paul learned it. You might say the hard way. He learned it from the top and the bottom and everywhere in between. He didn't need to covet, he said, because what? God was with him. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. It's not about possessing stuff. It's about possessing a person. And you can do that. And if you need him today, he's there for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray today as we go from this place that, Lord, we go with you. That we go with you at the center of our being, the center of our life, Lord. And God, if there's things in our life that we go, oh, if I just had this, if I just had this, I would be happy. I'd be content. Lord, open our eyes to see that none of those things can truly satisfy. Because there's always something, there's always someone with a little bit more. But God, you've blessed us and you've given us everything that we have need of right when we need it. Because you are a good God and you are good all the time. And so I pray for us today as we go from this place that Lord, our contentment truly would be in you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us like you do. Thank you for not giving up on us, Lord, when we get so sidetracked and, and so caught up in so many lesser things. God, help us today as we go to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We love you. We need you so much, Lord. Reveal yourself to us throughout this week. Go before us and lead us and guide us, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Church, I'll invite you.